Let us pray. So, Father, we rejoice in your goodness, in your loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. And, Lord, we ask that you truly would be the anchor of our souls, that we would place all of our hope and our trust in you, for there is none other. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning. And thank you to um, Michael as our Old Testament reader in this service and Heather our first service because you had a lot of tongue twister names in that Old Testament reading this morning. So thank you very much. Um, I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to chapter 5 of St. Matthew's Gospel. Continuing today in the Sermon on the Mount, and verse 13, where our reading began today, marks a transition from the Beatitudes or blessings of verses 3 through 12 to the remaining materials of the Sermon on the Mount, which are so incredibly rich and practical or filled with practical real life applications as well. Now, moving from the Beatitudes into this next section also marks a shift in focus of Jesus' teaching from qualities in the believer's life, which assure us of God's, the reality of God's future promises, to our task and responsibility as believers here and now living in this world. In the Beatitudes or blessings, believers who demonstrate the qualities of Christ's kingdom in and through their lives are promised God's blessings, including the kingdom of heaven, comfort, being filled or satisfied, being called sons of God, etc. To quote from New Testament scholar Craig Keener, as I did last week, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount teach us and demonstrate or show us how kingdom-ready people, how kingdom-ready disciples of Jesus Christ live. The scripture passage which we are exploring today and the passages which continue through Matthew 7 deal with how we live the Christian life. Jesus' words speak of our responsibility and task in very real-world practical terms. In the coming weeks, as we move through Matthew's gospel in year A in the lectionary, um, the lectionary readings will address topics including God's law, murder and hatred, adultery, marriage and divorce, loving our enemies, helping the poor, and prayer and fasting, just to name a few. All very real subjects with application for our lives today, right here, right now, where we live. This morning, I want to focus, as I did last week, on just one verse. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This verse speaks of believers using the metaphor of salt, where we read in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This verse, together with the imagery of light in verses 14 through 16, really set the tone and are kind of the overarching theme for all of the remaining subjects Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount. It sets the tone for what is said all the way through chapter 7. Because how we live as salt and light informs all of these other areas. So in our time together today, I want us to explore and probe much of what this imagery entails for us as Christians, what it really means for us to be salt and light. 
what the implications of that are for our lives. I so appreciate the way our Lord Jesus used imagery from real life, which we can understand and relate to just as the believers in first century Palestine did. And the imagery of salt relates to our task and our calling as disciples, as disciples of Jesus. And it is a very real and very serious calling. You are the salt of the earth. The grammar which Jesus uses here is the second person in the emphatic. It is a very strong statement. Jesus does not say you are like the salt of the earth or you should be the salt of the earth. He says you are the salt of the earth. That means that true followers of Jesus are not giving a choice of whether or not to be salt. We simply are salt, the salt of the earth. And there are two aspects of salt which translate to our lives, which I want us to focus on this morning. And the first one is this. Salt is essential for life. Salt was used in a variety of ways during Jesus' time of earthly ministry. It was used in baking, not just as a seasoning as we would use it today, but also to enhance the efficiency of wood-fired baking ovens. Because if you put salt on the coals, it would cause the heat to intensify without causing the flames to flare up and burn everything. So you could get a really hot fire by adding salt where the embers just were bright and hot, but with no flames. It was used to brighten lamps very much in the same way and links even more strongly to verses 14 through 16 when we understand that where we read, first we are the salt of the earth and then 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. In a day long before freezing and even canning, salt was an essential preservative of food. Obviously much more modern times, but this brings to mind my, um, my great aunt who is still living, my only aunt, um, all my other aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles are deceased, um, who lives in Morgantown, West Virginia. She'll be 95 this year and still lives independently in a condominium in Morgantown. But she grew up, and I love to pick her brain when we visit, she's still sharp as a tack. Um, she grew up in very rural West Virginia during the Great Depression. And, you know, to give you an example of how poor they were, her father inherited a little bit of money. And what he did with that money was he purchased a gasoline-powered washing machine to put on the front porch so that her mother didn't have to do laundry on a washboard in a tub any longer. How many of you have ever seen a gasoline-powered washing machine? <laughs> you know, it, I, I think about it, it's so far removed from our frame of reference, and yet we're talking about less than 100 years ago. We're talking about the 1930s. But she also will talk about how the only time they had fresh meat on the farm was in the fall when they butchered their hogs, usually close to Thanksgiving, and when her brothers shot any wild game that then they had for dinner. Other than that, throughout the year, all of the meat, pork that they ate, was cured. It was heavily salted and cured because they didn't have refrigeration, and they kept it, you know, in a shed out back, and that's what they used for meat throughout the entire year. But um, that's the way it was done in biblical, not with pork, let me clarify, um, in the ancient Near East, but in the biblical world as well, uh, meat, fish was all preserved with salt because there wasn't any other way to store it for a l long period of time. So it was used as a preservative for food. But salt was also used as a purifying or cleansing agent. 
And then finally, salt was a required addition in sacrifices in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, we read these words. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt was used in covenants to speak of the eternal nature of God and the covenants that he entered into with his people because salt doesn't spoil. So that reminds us of God's eternal covenants with his people. It testifies to God's offer of relationship to all who would come to him through Jesus Christ. Salt was also used as a flavoring and seasoning in food. And we still use that salt in that way um, today, probably more than we should according to our doctors. Um, but we do add salt to a lot of things. But in the ancient Near East, in Jesus' day, salt made life easier and made life more present. And it also had powerful value as a symbol. But much more importantly than all of those things, salt was absolutely essential for living. It was just as essential, it is just as essential as water and air. And that still holds true today. People of the Middle Eastern region, both then and now, understand this fact in the hot, dry, windy, arid climate of that region of the world, body salts, electrolytes, which are essential to live, need to be carefully maintained or you will die. So you've got to make sure you're balancing intake with what you sweat out in the heat. Very much like athletes in our day um, who drink Gatorade. Gatorade is filled and, and those types of products are filled with electrolytes and all those essential salts. When we get sick or we get dehydrated, we've got to make sure we take in those salts and replenish our body. Salt is an, an essential ingredient for living. So salt has the capacity to benefit life in some absolutely fundamental ways. So what's that say to you and me as disciples of Jesus? What does it say to us if we are trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior? Well, it says to you and me that we are to the earth, to the people of this world, what salt is to everyday life, that which is essential for life. When Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth, he is clearly in no uncertain terms defining our mission and calling to us as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ. He calls us to demonstrate the reality of the transformation he has and continues to bring about in our lives. And when we do this by God's grace and power at work in us, we bring that which is essential to life not only physical, but spiritual as well, that which is eternal to those in the world around us. We bring to the world through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit of God working in us that which is essential for true living, life in God, that which is essential for eternal life. And our lives should speak of God's purifying and transforming power. Our lives should demonstrate the reality that God is indeed at work in us and he is still indeed at work in the world. Our lives testify to the relationship God, our faithful covenant-keeping God, offers every person who would come to him through Jesus Christ. 
we must be the salt of the earth with all that we are, with the entirety of our being, because salt is essential for life. Second, salt must taste like salt. Jesus tells us that if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That reminds us, brothers and sisters, of the incredibly serious character of our calling as disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to be salt, a life-giving, life-preserving agent in this world. And this is a very real and incredibly serious thing. Because to cease to be salt is a tragedy of huge proportions for the people we touch and for us as believers. To cease in our saltiness is to become of no use for God's kingdom. But how does salt lose its saltiness? Well, one very significant way this happens is by becoming so mixed with impurities that it loses its distinct taste and it becomes useless. Now, we live in a world where we go to the grocery store and we buy a container of salt, whether it be Morton's iodized salt or sea salt or kosher salt, you name it. And the salt is very high quality, very pure. But people living in the Middle East in that day and even today understood how salt could be, become impure from real world examples. And one of the examples is the Dead Sea, the ending point of the Jordan River the lowest place on earth, 1,294 feet below sea level with a surface area of 395 square miles. The salinity of the Dead Sea is between 25 and 30%. You know you cannot sink in the Dead Sea. You cannot sink. But that salt is mixed over the centuries and the millennia with the water flowing in there and bringing things from the desert. It is mixed with all kinds of other minerals so that it is very much an impure salt. Um, I've never been to the Dead Sea and I've never swam in the Dead Sea, but one of my friends who visited that region of the world a number of years ago, said I was, he was going to swim in the Dead Sea, so he went in, but he said when he came out, you're just covered with this, this ugh. I guess you would call it just you feel dirty because of all the mineral deposits and the the chemicals in the water. And so people in Jesus' day understood from that real world example how salt can lose its saltiness by becoming mixed with impurities. Salt in other parts of the world is often missing its true flavor because of all the other stuff it gets mixed with. But that raises important questions for each of us. Questions such as, am I fully living into, and the I begins with me, but apply it to yourself as well. Am I fully living into the grace of God Continue and continue to yield myself to the work of the Holy Spirit in a way that demonstrates God's transforming power in my life? Let me repeat that. Am I fully living into the grace of God and continuing to yield myself to the work of the Holy Spirit in a way that demonstrates God's transforming power in my life? 
Is my life ordered in such a way that it shows forth the heart of God and his kingdom priorities? And because of this, do I extend the grace that God has shown to me, to those around me, those I encounter every day who desperately need to hear and experience the transforming power of Jesus? Remaining pure, brothers and sisters, by God's grace and power is essential to fulfill God's call on our lives. And it speaks powerfully as a corrective against any sort of nominal half-hearted Christianity being real or true. Because in the life of the true believer, by God's grace, there is no place for things which dilute or diminish our saltiness. Again, to quote Craig Keener, no true disciple could merely be nominal and remain a true disciple. Relates to what we talked about last week as we heard, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. And we talked about the idea that that's not just a declared righteousness that God brings to pass in our lives, but the righteousness that Christ gives us is real and actual and true and lived by his power at work in us. And when that ceases to be a reality or that is diminished, It's because the saltiness God calls us to demonstrate, showing forth his character, has become impure and diluted. We need to ask God to clean house in us. To quote New Testament scholar Donald Blosh, we are called not to be the honey of the world, but the salt of the earth. Salt stings on an open wound, but it also saves from gangrene. Yes, sometimes being salt in our lives to one another may stink for a moment. But in the end, it saves and brings life. It's very easy for all of us, beginning with me, to allow those impurities, just like over the centuries and the millennia, those those impurities have accumulated in the, the Dead Sea, to allow those things to start to accumulate in our lives or in the life of this church. It can happen subtly. It can happen gradually. And all of a sudden, we lose our saltiness. God doesn't will for that to happen for any of us or for this church. God's will is that we remain pure and full of that savor and that flavor, that life-giving flavor of his eternal kingdom. And when we are that salt and light, to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the cross becomes visible and the works of the cross become visible. Human beings can never be praised for the cross and such a faith and such a faith community. Only God can be praised. So when we are that salt and God continues to do that work in us, what happens? The cross becomes visible. What did Jesus say? When I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men. I will draw all people to me. The gospel becomes clear. The transforming power of Christ's sacrifice becomes clear. The work of Christ on the cross becomes visible to all who would see. And we decrease because human beings can never be praised for the cross. Human beings can never be praised for that kind of a faith community or church because it's God's work in us. As we become that salt more and more, 
as Bonhoeffer says, only God can be praised. Let us pray. Father, how grateful we are for your transforming power that you were a good, faithful, and covenant-keeping God. And Father, thank you for the beautiful examples and teachings you give us in your word using things that are common and understandable to all human beings, including us. So Lord, we pray, make us that salt of the earth that you've called us to be, pure and undefiled, full of the flavor and the savor and the life-giving qualities of your kingdom. And Lord, as we do that, may the cross of Jesus be lifted high, higher and higher, so that only you can be praised. And this we pray in Christ's mighty name. Amen.